Listen in to find out how pharmacy automation can boost the time you spend with each patient by up to 50%. Plus, we kickstart your journey with email marketing. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all the tools, all the skills you need to build a smarter, more successful 21st century pharmacy before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours. Episode 17, coming your way. We're in the midst of World Cup fever. Unfortunately, our socceroos are out, but as we'll discuss with uh, John Coate coming up in a fantastic episode for you to really round out our pharmacy automation series, we reckon we might be uh, up there challenging for the uh, Pharmacy Automation World Cup by about 2022, if that does happen in Qatar. So, lots to get through. I just wanted to appreciate that we are in a global audience today. We have 36 countries listening to us, and as respect for that, I'm getting a special graphic made up, and it'll be a special podcast cover that I'll publish on the blog shortly, that has every flag of every country around the world that are Transformation listeners. I appreciate every one of you. And as I always say, please do not hesitate to get in touch with me and give me some feedback. I love to get it, and it really helps to drive and shape this show moving forward. I wanted to give you a bit more of an update as to uh, where we're going as far as um, um, the Transformation book launch is concerned. So... We spoke about it last week, and I can assure every listener to this show, everyone who's subscribed, who's got on the blog site, put their email address in, you will be the first to know about it. I'm going to open up an exclusive booking period for the book launch that no one else other than Transformation listeners will get access to. I will let you know the minute that is going to go live for you. I have a date. It will be the 14th of August. We're going to have a 7.30 a.m. start. You're going to get a delicious breakfast, a keynote presentation from me. You'll get headline speakers such as George Tambassis, Anthony Tassani, both from the Pharmacy Guild nationally and Victoria. I'm sure they need no introduction. You'll get your car parking included. And there's so many more details to come. I'm bursting with content for you bursting with details, but I need to hold some back just to lock it in to make sure that the experience is as seamless and easy for you to get involved. As I mentioned last week, interstate and overseas listeners, you've got a special treat coming your way. Just can't announce it just yet. I've got to lock in a few things, but there's going to be a very special way for you to get involved on the day. I must say that the book launch will be limited to 120 seats and 120 seats and we're done. We won't be able to do any more than that. So I really uh, look forward to you know getting to see all of you in person, sitting behind a microphone. Sometimes can be a little bit lonely. I don't get to see all of you. I picture all of you whenever I'm doing these podcasts, but I'd love to see as many of you there as possible. I also wanted to reflect back also on the global fever as well, and I, it, it isn't it isn't lost on me that some of our stories are having a global flavour to it, and I guess paying respect to our global audience, as we already discussed, I, we have 
stories coming from Portugal that George Tambassas brought us. John's got a great story coming up about coming out of Holland and obviously his background as well. We're getting a lot of automation stories coming from Germany. Got some coming up in the US. We've got a great story about a, a fantastic compounding pharmacy that took the marketing world by storm in the US. That'll come up in a future episode. But I'd love to get some more global pharmacy technology stories. Um, it'd be great to see how we're all doing it. I know globally we're all doing it tough and often the best innovations come out of these climates. So I'd love to get some more from you. Please drop me a line on the feedback or via all the relevant channels as well. Today's interview is with John Coate. He's the Managing Director of Villarc Australasia and has over 30 years of senior management experience in retail and wholesale businesses. John is a passionate campaigner for the pharmacist to be more engaged with the customers by changing the processes and the design of the dispensary and by allocating non-value added activity elsewhere. John has remained dedicated to building the professional image and business sustainability of community pharmacy. John Cate, welcome to the Transformation Show this morning. Morning, Rob. Thanks for having me. Uh, look, great to have you on, John. And um, you know, I'm sure our um, motivated pharmacy owners have got a lot of value out of the series of pharmacy automation that we've put out. And um, you know, certainly it's a it's a crowning um, period for us to have uh, have you on uh, representing Villarc and also you know giving us your insights on pharmacy automation because you have been in that space for a while. Um, so, John, I was going to ask you first up, how did you discover pharmacy automation and I guess what drives your passion for it? Well, Rob, I guess it uh, goes back quite a few years for me now. Uh, I've been in the pharmacy game. Uh, I came out of food, uh, senior management in manufacturing and uh, and also retail. And uh, so I've been in pharmacy for probably pretty close to 20 years now. And uh, in 2004, I was asked to uh, take over the Chemark Group as their executive director and we, we went on a uh, on a, a journey to to really try to position that group of pharmacies in a very different way to the rest of the industry, which was really all about trying to get the pharmacists to interact much more with uh, the patient than what we traditionally do. And in that process, traveling around the world, in that process, I, I certainly found that there's actually no way that you can ask a pharmacist to do that unless you fundamentally change the way that the processes within the dispensary work. You have to change the workflow, you have to change the layout, you have to change all sorts of things to be able to create the time and the space for the pharmacist to do what we think they should be doing. And um, again, in that, in that process, I found that uh, you can have some uh, limited technology or you can take it to the next step. And, and we really found that the more technology we, we put into the, uh, the logistics part of the, of the equation, the more time and the more space and the more resources we created for our pharmacists to be able to do the thing that they should be doing, which is engaging with customers. So that's how far back it goes to so 2004, 2005. Mm, absolutely. And was there a pharmacy that you visited that really stuck out in your mind that you thought, look, these guys are certainly doing it as much better and you know, certainly it, it, their patients are getting a lot more benefit from the process? Yeah, absolutely. During the journey, I, I, I spent quite a bit of time in the UK and, and certainly in, in places like Sweden and Norway. And, and it was was more a process that, that sort of caught my eye. And it, at, at that stage, it wasn't automated per se. It was round shelves and, and sloping shelves and those sort of things. But the process really was 
um, that the techs were doing the work, uh, the, the picking, the, 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 uh, the dispensing, and the pharmacists were engaging with customers. And once I actually got my mind around that and we started to implement that and, uh, you know, we looked around the whole the world to look for suppliers that could assist us with this sort of thing. That's when I started to look into uh, automation and I, and I went to a pharmacy in Holland, being Dutch and uh, speaking the language, and, uh, and uh, I saw several different types of, um, of automation. The key to every one of these was they fundamentally changed the way that the pharmacist interacted with the customer. So not one of them made the decision purely based on, hey, I'm going to do this quicker. No, I'm looking for a solution that's going to allow me to do the things that I know I need to do. Yeah, no, and, and that was a great pharmacy, great example, and it was in, uh, in Breda in Holland. And 10 years later, with so much pressure on these pharmacies in Holland, this is an independent pharmacy. It's one of the most profitable pharmacies in Holland for a single operator. Mm, oh, terrific. And look, certainly, you know, I think with any with any pieces of technology, as we talk about on this show, um, it's really about enhancing that patient experience. And uh, I think as you're a great advocate for, if you're not actually enhancing that experience, um, you're certainly uh, not not doing yourself justice and your business justice in your activity. So now that's great, John. And, and in terms of um, technology as a whole, um, you know, what do you see as being, I guess, the do you see that as being a catalyst for 21st century pharmacy? And, and again, taking into mind that we're trying to apply the best possible processes and workflows. Mm. Well, look, I, yes, absolutely. I think that there's always a caveat on that though, Robert, I guess. Yep. Uh, and that is be very careful, uh, you know, how far you take it. Don't let technology per se drive where you want to go. I, I've always been of the opinion that you look, what do I want to be, where do I want to be, what do I want to look like, or in, in business, we usually say, what does good look like? And once we know what good looks like, then we look for the solutions that will help us get there. Yep. And you, So that's why it's really important that you pick the technology, with, and there is absolutely no doubt that the right technology moving forward in the next uh, century is going to be able to achieve the things or allow us to achieve the things we want to achieve. Yeah, no, technology uh, per se will not do it. It will it will basically facilitate for us to change the way we operate. Absolutely, and certainly, you know, a lot of a lot of our owners are looking at how can we do more with less, and how can we get get in front of our patient more so without having to actually do all these things manually that we have for many years. And you know, certainly as we're talking about today, uh, automation is a is a great vehicle for that. Um, so. Villarc is obviously the most established um, automation brand in, in Australia. Um, and, you know, we've heard from Tim Shelton, his great experience in, uh, in Bairnsdale and, you know, certainly a great ambassador for obviously you and, and automation in itself, particularly in a rural community. But I, I guess where, where, where is Villarc seeing um, automation in Australia? And I guess what has changed over the journey that you've been here? Um. I guess I, I need to go back a little bit again. Um, as part of the work I was doing at Kemart, I engaged with Willock and I actually brought Willock into the country with non-automated non um, solutions. And they, we found that, that working with these guys, it, it actually they understood pharmacy really, really well. Um, you know, Willock is a 125-year-old company uh, and Dr. Jens Willock, who's my boss, um, is the fourth generation Willock to run this business. And 
you know, so they were very, very close to the pharmacist, if you like. I think the biggest thing that helped Willock get to, you know, you know, undisputed market leadership, because one of the things that people need to understand is that all suppliers in Australia have been here since 2004-2005, just that the way that they've operated, some of them have disappeared, come back, disappeared again, come back again, whereas when Willock and Kenmark were working together, it was very obvious that the way to be successful in the Australian market was to establish your own office here, do not use distributors, do not use agents, You've, you know, because pharm Australian pharmacists in particular are very, very, um, uh, they're very close with the people that they deal with. They, they love good, strong partnerships, more so than anywhere else in the world. So by building those, you need to really put your money where your mouth is and say, right, I'm here for the long run and we don't disappear. And that's how we've built that relationship. So what we've now got, there's 200 odd um, uh, fully automated pharmacy dispensaries in Australia. We have 150 of those with consoles, and the other three suppliers have the other 50. And I think that is just simply because we have been here the whole time. There's been no changes. We, uh, the company who manufactures the product, owns the business here in Australia, and we have all got Willock tattooed on our mm. forehead. Mm, absolutely. So when you deal with someone from Willock, whether it's a technician or the or the consulting pharmacist, you know that that person is not on a commission. That person is simply paid a wage to look after the Willock customers. Absolutely, John. And the the robots that came in, and you know, we've spoken to even Leon Thomas in our last episode. He first got into pharmacy automation two thousand and nine. I know Tim and Tim and David were in with their consus quite a number of years ago, and now looking at, at potential improvements. Where, what, what have you seen as an improvement in the automation space, um, you know, since obviously Villarc established itself and uh, in, what have been the newest innovations with automation? Well, I guess, well, again, you know, different uh, technologies uh, will, will have gone in different directions. What we've done is we've made our machines quicker, smaller, simpler, uh, because in our view, um, the Australian market, which is a very uh, has a very fast-moving um, product range, um, and we have major issues with rent, we have major issues with wages, and all those sort of things. So for us, it's been all about the development of um, of a technology that makes the makes the uh, whole solution smaller, <clears throat> much quicker, and very very simple to operate. So you don't end up not being able to dispense if there is a major issue with power or whatever. So that's what we focused on. And really, if you look at the machine, say that that uh, that Tim has in Bansdale to the latest one, and there's several seconds of speed difference. Um, some quite a lot of the um, of the movements are different, which limits the, the uh, stress on some of the steel and all those sort of things. And that's what we've concentrated on very very much. Whereas others have concentrated on things like automatic loading. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, in, in our view, that is not an, is not a development that that um, is necessary, and it is expensive, and it makes more it makes technology more difficult to operate. So they've gone that way, we've gone our way, but both of us, both types of technology, have 
uh, develop significantly over the years to try to make life easier for pharmacists. Absolutely. And I think as we've been touching on in a few of the more recent episodes, it might have even been um, with uh, Dr. Mona Sura, that um, European pharmacies are far more adopting of uh, automation. And I think their saturation's nearly at uh, 30% now. And, you know, we're still well under 5% of automation in community pharmacies. So what what what, do you, what have you seen have been, you know, and obviously Villar being based in Germany, what, what do you, have you seen that the German pharmacists and European pharmacists pharmacists are seeing differently that we aren't to embrace automation at a much earlier stage? Well, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it comes down to remuneration. Um, it's a bit like um, uh, the Australian pharmacy in the last 10 years, 15 years, haven't had to. The pressure that Australian pharmacies are finding themselves under now and, and will um, continue to find themselves under over the next few years, that has been around in Europe for the last 15 years. Yeah. Um, so when you visited a, a Dutch pharmacy in the early 2000s, they had just been uh, they lost uh, all their protection. Um, the the uh, the industry went open. The uh, government had uh, significantly reduced the remuneration that a pharmacist could earn. So they were forced into uh, a whole bunch of uh, methods to try to recover lost margin, etc. And this is where it was so interesting. The, the pharmacy I mentioned to you before. The, the, the pharmacies who actually use technology to then bring them closer to their customers are the ones that have survived. The ones that use technology to save costs have gone. Mm. Uh, because that's what, you know, if you focus on reducing costs, then the next wave of reductions in remuneration will overtake whatever you save today. Unless you fundamentally change the way you enhance the customer's experience thereby getting more customers and every customer you sell more to, you know, they, that's the only way you're going to be able to use technology. Otherwise, you'll end up having a script business with one pharmacist and a robot and no customers. And we really need to be able to make that work. You would need the government to change the rules that scripts can come in via the doctor, via fax machine and all those sort of things, which is obviously coming. Yeah. And if you look at those markets, that's exactly what's happened to them. You know, in the Dutch market today, less than 25% of the scripts coming through the front door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very, very different market to what we've got here. Very different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned that particular Dutch pharmacy and embracing the technology to bring themselves closer to the patients. Was it just automation that they'd, they'd put in their business or were there other things that, um, you know, supported it and also, again, assisted their patients to a greater level? Now, many, many other things, Robin, and this is, I guess, what I was talking about before, is mm. they use technology as a facilitator to do the other things. Yep. Um, I think uh, one of the things that we pride ourselves on here is that uh, our process is all about uh, uh, we don't recommend a solution until we've actually had a, a 360 review of the dispensary. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need to see their drug files. We need to see their workflow. We need to see all those sort of things because until we've actually seen those, how do we make a decision? What is the right solution for them? Yeah. You, know, you really do need to understand. Uh, some some pharmacies uh, have a completely different um, customer base than others, and in and quite often, right now, one of the big issues that, that faces uh, our I guess our industry is waiting script waiting times, and we've been incredibly successful with with a large bunch of our customers to significantly reduce script waiting times. And, and I know that you uh, 
you know uh, Glenn Guilfoyle from the uh, from the next level. Yeah. And Glenn and I have uh, developed an independent research, if you like, that I um, ha I'm not privy to the data, but I get the results from. And you know, we've clearly shown now that if you have a script waiting time of eight and a half minutes, fifty percent of customers leave the pharmacy. If you can bring that down to less than five minutes, ninety-six percent of people stay in the pharmacy. That gives you forty-something percent more people to sell something to. Mm. That's what these guys in Holland and in the UK have done. They have really understood the, the behaviour of their customer, and they utilised the pharmacy automation to be able to give them the power to do something about it. And and overseas, like obviously, we, we focus very much on getting perhaps even our high turnover prescription items into 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 robotics, and perhaps the lower turnover things into shell into shelves and pull out drawers and things like that. But do they go an extra level, and do they put retail products inside the um, robots? And you know, how, what percentage of their business is automated? Well, yes, they do, and in fact, we do that here too. We certainly have some uh, S3s and things like that that we put into our robots, uh, depending again, which is again, uh, goes back to that whole thing about analysing the total uh, total pharmacy. But um, there is, again, there is a, a mix of, uh, of types of pharmacies. You get the big boys like Asda, um, you know, Boots, all of these sort of guys in the UK, they don't really go for automation, simply put because they have cheap labour. And, uh, you know, places like Taiwan, Thailand, all those sort of places don't go for automation, because uh, India, because they have cheap labor. Um, so what the ones that actually do make it work, they automate the bulk of the thing that takes the time away from the pharmacist. Stuff that doesn't take time away, yes, you can automate it, but have you then actually looked at the full process of what happens in your pharmacy? By automatically saying, look, everything has to go here, you actually um, miss the opportunity to have a really good look at what happens in the pharmacy with each customer, if that makes any sense. And I always go back, Robert, to in this country, we have three major wholesalers, right? Yeah. The three major wholesalers are all uh, publicly listed companies, all run by very intelligent guys. And I have to say that because all three of them have been my boss in the past. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, what do they do in their warehouse? You know, a typical warehouse of API Sigma or Symbian would carry three, three and a half thousand drugs, 16,000 lines altogether, but about three to three and a half thousand drugs. They automate 700 of those. Yeah. Right? And the rest, because they know that that's where the bulk of the time is spent. So let's get that as quickly and as cheaply and as efficiently as we possibly can. And I guess that's our uh, way of doing the same thing in the pharmacy. An average pharmacy in Australia carries 1,200 lines. 400 of those, 450, you, you'd be surprised once we go through uh, the, uh, the drug files, we want to say put 90% uh, of whatever is, uh, is dispensed into the robot so that we can control the stock. We can make sure that 90% of all drugs are turned over twice a month. You know, we, we actually go through that sort of depth to make sure that they don't carry too much stock. Um, all of those sort of things. And in, a, in the Australian pharmacy, in the 1,200 lines, 400 of their, thereabouts would make up 90% of the, of the dispense. By the time we get to product number 400, we're down to once a week. Yeah. In every pharmacy, it doesn't matter which one it is, right? we're dispensing this thing once a week. 
So by, when you get to product number 1200, you're dispensing it once every six months. So these are the sort, and that's exactly what the uh, wholesalers have understood. That's why they do it the way, and that's, I guess, why we do it that way, because we find by doing it that way, and look, we've been incredibly successful in Holland and the UK with independent pharmacists. Yeah. For that reason, because we focus on those bits that make the pharmacists interact with customers. Yeah. Now, and we I don't sort of just say, here's a robot, go and do, you know, this will do everything you want it to do. You, you understand the, the, the philosophical difference, I guess, what, what, what we're trying to do here? Absolutely, absolutely, and and John, you touched on also how the wholesalers work, and um, you know we've probably explored this in a couple of our episodes that perhaps there is a ability through pharmacy automation to actually have our pharmacies and the wholesalers much more closely connected, like we're hearing out of Germany, where um, we do have these uh, hatches in the backets of the pharmacy where the delivery comes in overnight and the orders can be tipped into the back and auto loaded into the uh, the automation. Like, do you see that as being a great efficiency for perhaps Australian wholesalers and pharmacies to be working together? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, you know it, it is the next step. And uh, in uh, I don't know if you listen to Patrick and uh, and his people at APP talk about uh, you know the the, the, the whole uh, thing about supply chain and, and and controlling the supply chain yeah. from from start to finish. And it is it is the big technological um, I guess uh, benefit. In, in a industry that has a very expensive supply chain, yeah, right, which what which we do, um, but just back up a little bit and think about you know ten years ago when I was still working for Falling, part of my job was to run the wholesale division, and we did ward boxes that we delivered. Our drivers had keys to their warehouses, and we went into hospitals and we dropped ward boxes physically, dropped ward boxes in. Now yeah. that wasn't using technology. But that was saying, hey, this is the level of service that our customers require. Yeah. The next step is to, to, to automate that process. And where the technology actually comes in, Robert, is the connectivity between systems. That's the key. We've got to be able to connect the systems all the way through. Yeah. Because otherwise, you can continually will end up having little... Um, little black holes that stop the process from happening. Yeah, look, the processes never do change. It really is just about enabling that the technology to either aiding or automating that process just to get it as efficiently as, as non-humanly possible. So now that's 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 great. Absolutely. And um, John, also where um, Villark obviously sits as a lot of the automation companies do, it might be about setting up stalls at APP and so forth, but how, how do you keep pharmacy owners up to date with what's going on at Villarc and you know how can they find out a little bit more about what you do and what your processes are right I guess look APP is our uh, it, to do those sort of shows is actually quite expensive so we obviously focus on APP uh, to try to get to the biggest uh, number of, uh, of customers in, in that way um, but what we do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, I have uh, consulting pharmacists or uh, in every state of Australia uh, we concentrate on, we, we always use uh, pharmacists in those roles because they understand the pressures. All of them have owned pharmacies before, so they really understand that side of things. Um, they run sessions with uh, local pharmacists, they attend guild meetings, they do all sorts of things. And, you know, I'm, I have a favourite saying in, in this business, if there's three pharmacies in a room, one of them has to be one of mine. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, or me. <laughs> and... Um, 
Uh, so that's one way. Uh, our current customers, of course, we um, you know we do something very different to what anyone else does um, as part of our uh, our uh, maintenance agreements that we have with our machines. We bring our customers staff into Melbourne into our showroom once a year. Uh, we fly them here, we put them up, and we spend a whole day um, you know with probably four or five different stores in, in in the showroom working together on different ways and to improve the process to um, work through what our new uh, in innovations are. We also have um, uh, product catalogs that we send out to our customers with any updates and all those sort of things. And don't forget, we also have a very large business of, uh, of in the, the efficiency of dispensary, which is non-automated. Yeah. You know, things like round shelves and, and, and fast moving shelves. And one of the things that we're working on right now, which has been incredibly successful, is people have put in round shelves who mentally are there as far as the getting in front of a customer. We are now trading those round shelves in, selling them secondhand and putting small robots into those into those sites uh, to, to take them to the next step. So, you know, we've been working with those customers for four or five years now. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and that's how we sort of make sure that uh, that we stay that they stay in front of. Uh, but again, you know, I'm sorry to be harping on this, Rob, but mm. again, it's coming back to what is the requirement of that pharmacy. And you've just hit, you've just put a great segue into the next next question I had for you, John, which was what process do do you and Villark follow in assessing a pharmacy owner's readiness for their needs of automation? Right. So. I guess I touched on it a little bit, but yeah. uh, let's assume for a minute that uh, you know uh, we, for in whatever way we meet you, we have a chat to you. We start talking about um, what it is that you require, and then we really try to find out what it is you want out of life. Um, now, do you want to set up your pharmacy for long-term uh, success? Do you want to uh, sell it in three years? So you need to really improve, boost your bottom line. What is it that you're looking for? Uh, then we look at your dispensary. We look, and you know, everything starts with the design of the workflow. And then you need, once you understand exactly where your customers are, are coming from, who they are, where the scripts are coming from, what type of drugs are you dispensing, uh, uh, do we need to uh, significantly boost generics, etc., 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 etc. Do you have um, issues of uh, too much stock in your pharmacy? Which are, most of them do. They just don't realise it. Um, you know, all of those things. Once we've done all of that work, we then come up with a solution that includes design of the workflow um, and the dispensary. Okay, we never ever just say, "Here is a robot; you go and sort it out." Um, the robot will be the right size for that uh, um, for that particular dispensary, based on the growth that they're looking for over the next three or four years, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all of those things. So typically we could do up to 15 designs here. I've got a whole design department that works here full time for us. Yeah. Um, we could do 15 designs before we actually get to the final. Now, after six or seven, they might assign a contract to buy the consoles or to, to buy a round shelf or whatever, and there'll be another six or seven adjustments to make absolutely right, um, and make absolutely sure that everything is, is right. One of the things that we focus on very much is things like S2 and S3 power walls. Um, the 26 categories that are the health categories, where a pharmacist can significantly influence the sale result, right? So we step out from behind the counter and, and really sort of go into that 26 health category area and make sure that the, the, the script customer 
is treated in such a way that you can take advantage of their privilege they give you, their five minutes of privilege time that they give you, we need to take advantage of that five minutes, right? Yeah. And design workflow will help you do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah. and John, if we can even take a step further back with, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners who may be in a position where they're considering automation at the moment, obviously, it's a very comprehensive um, startup process. But w- what would you recommend to anyone considering automation at the moment that they should do as just even a first step? And, you know, obviously, the assessment process that you've mentioned here is very comprehensive and would take some time. But what would you think would be their first first entry-level step into starting that journey of automation? Well, I think uh, talk to some people that have uh, that have done it. Uh, one of the things that we do quite often, we have several pharmacies in every state that are very happy to have people come and work in their pharmacy. Uh, go and work for half a day in one of those pharmacies, actually experience, uh, you know, what's happening. Uh, talk to um, um, specialists. Um, I was at the PSA conference uh, uh, in the US and uh, we were doing a presentation, or, uh, in fact uh, Bruce Annabelle did a presentation around uh, a lot of this stuff and one of the pharmacists actually stood up and said, oh well how do I get my shop fitter to do this, you know, my recommendation is don't think of it, your shop fitter is someone who builds it, not someone who's designing it, okay, it's really, really important that you get specialists in to talk about this stuff. Um, they don't understand a someone who's a pure retail designer who designs a cafe today, a hotel tomorrow, a pharmacy the day after, and a supermarket the day after does not understand the flow of a script going through a dispensary. It is really, really, really important you talk to specialists, uh, especially around this sort of stuff, um, because yes, it's a big investment, but you know what? In reality, it's actually no. It, it is actually a no-brainer. Yeah, uh, in reality, it's an absolute no-brainer. And and one thing I'd be interested because you would have seen hundreds, if not thousands, of pharmacies embracing automation. Is there any hallmark signs that um, our listeners should be looking out for? Obviously. Uh, when I was talking to uh, Greg Cadoran a number of weeks ago, um, a signature uh, sign was calm in the ph- in the pharmacy and amongst the staff. Is that something that you've observed as well? Absolutely. Uh, it's funny because you talked to Tim Shelton a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and when I uh, I remember taking a customer, uh, a potential customer, to a pharmacy in Sale, which is you know, an hour or so from Bansdale, and it's a, it's a pharmacy that does about three hundred and fifty scripts a day. It has um, uh, pharmacist, two techs, and a couple of pharmacy assistants, and we walked in there at 11 o'clock in the morning, and it was bedlam. It was absolute bedlam. Uh, there were seven people, six pe- people waiting for scripts, and people were running around. It was panic. At 12 o'clock, we walked into Terry White at Bansdale, Tim Shelton's pharmacy. Yep. They're doing 1,000 scripts a day plus. Absolutely. They had 27 people in the uh, dispensary area, and it was like walking into a library. You know, everything was so calm. And, you know, um, we've just completed uh, nine installations for a very large, for a very prominent um, uh, pharmacy player in Queensland. Uh, We did it last year. Her instruction to me was, we need to reduce the script waiting time. Every one of those pharmacies is is now seven, eight, nine months later, more than double-digit growth in, in, in scripts. But the thing that absolutely sends my heart soaring is when I go into one, uh, one of them, I was there a couple of weeks ago, and I actually watched them do 27 scripts in eight minutes. Oh, that's sensational. 
I mean, that, this is what I keep saying. It is what is it that you want out of this? You know, if that's what you want, we can build that, right? Now, the next step for them is to actually make absolutely sure that they maximize the benefit of every one of those people that comes in, right? But the point is that um, if you can get the, the customer to be delighted by the visit, that gives you so much more opportunity to, number one, hold on to them, and number two, to get more money out of them. Hmm. No, absolutely, John. And I'm also keen to get your view on as well that, you know, at this time where, you know, operating costs are soaring, revenues are plummeting, it's a a time when to ask a a pharmacy owner, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are in in this space, is that to ask them to spend, um, you know, a lot of money and make that significant investment in automation, um, you know, they may have just gone through a period of having to revise their operating costs and they're thinking, well, to add a, a... you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars for a robot just doesn't seem feasible. Like, what advice would you be giving to them at the moment? Well, again, you know, one of the things that we try to do is we uh, we sit down with them and we work through a, a very simple little, um, you know, what if sort of scenario. Um, and, and it's very clear to us if you um, um, if you're a four hundred scripts a day f- um, cut, uh, pharmacy and you need to, uh, if you um, invest in a small, um, we're like robot, full solution, everything is done, you know, you're looking at $160,000, right? To do that, so I invest $160,000, you can sit down and say, okay, if I can grow my scripts 3% a year, right? Which if you put that in there, is a, that's again, it's a no-brainer because just the fact that people have less waiting time, the theatre of the thing and all that will give you that script growth. There's no no doubt about that. If you can get your pharmacists out the front and get them to sell one more S2, S3 for every 20 scripts they currently do, and if you can generate $50,000 worth of um, government uh, income, um, if you do those three things, not only do you cover your loss of margin on your current scripts from the 1450 down to 1150 that uh, that the analysts are saying we're going to be at, you will pay for the machine and make more money than you do today. So, as I said to you before, it's an absolute no-brainer. It is this, it is the, the fear of the unknown and the fear of, hey, will I be able to do that? Because I'm telling you now that if you don't do those three things, no matter what you do, you're going to go out backwards. Mm. No, and absolutely. And this is the key, Robert. This is the key. You've got to do those things anyway. Yeah, and and looked in fear and and dire times. On sometimes the best innovations do come out, and you know certainly pharmacies can find that uh, true focus of their business. And I think, as we've found in in such a, a long and proud tradition of pharmacy, putting the putting the patient at the centre, and particularly your community at the centre, often leads to the greatest solution. And you know certainly automation is 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 very key to that. John, we've covered a lot, and I'm also very keen to um, explore one more question with you as well. In that, what would you say is the biggest game-changing technology? And it doesn't have to be automation, but obviously, where time and resources perhaps were no barrier, um, what would you, or perhaps even Villark, implement in pharmacies today? Well, I think without a doubt, uh, the biggest thing is uh, I, I just touched on briefly, but is connectivity uh, between all the players in the supply chain. 
Um, it, you know, it is the wholesaler, it's the manufacturer, it is what happens. Um, even even the first step, uh, if we can get, um, you know, one of the big issues we face in this, in this industry is that uh, whilst we might have half a dozen um, dispense system suppliers, we've got, you know, two dozen, three dozen point-of-sale system suppliers, which means connectivity between any sort of technology and your point-of-sale makes it just so much more difficult. Um, so for me, the biggest game-changing technology in any retail um, environment, which is what this is, is connectivity from the start, from the customer, through from the manufacturer through to the car, to the customer. Somehow, that's where we're gonna what we got to work on, and that is the big game changer. That is the thing that will that will significantly change everything uh, that we see today. Um, I remember 20 years ago when I was in the manufacturing industry, Sarah Lee did a study of how much did it cost to take a um, the, the the tray that uh, that the aluminium people were manufacturing for a salutary pound cake, what was the time from there until the product actually got taken out of the customer's freezer to eat? And it was 10 months, mm. right? Now, they were already 20 years ago understanding that they've got to significantly take chunks out of that time frame because every one of those chunks of time is cost. And... It all the, the connectivity between the different players is the thing that will drive um, the ability to take time and uh, resources out of that process. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And uh, I guess, John, just just to finish, obviously we are World Cup flavour at the moment and, um, you know, yeah. Australia's just bowed, bowed out this morning and uh, certainly I may have touched on in an episode ago if we were uh, in a pharmacy automation World Cup, I don't know that we probably would make that final 32. But uh, I guess, I guess what, what, would you, what do you see, you know, by the time the next World Cup comes around in uh, 2018, I think that's in Russia, where do you think Australia will be positioned in terms of pharmacy automation? Look, I guess, look, this is well publicised, my, my view on uh, which pharmacies, uh, look, firstly, I believe we're going to lose some smaller pharmacies as this price disclosure is going to uh, come through. Um, my view is that for uh, automation, so robotics, I think there's, a, in my view, about 1,500 pharmacies in Australia that should have it at this stage where we are today. That might change um, because um, um, as the, uh, I guess, the, the makeup of, of the industry changes, uh, you might end up with uh, with uh, a different, uh, slightly different number, but I reckon it's about... Uh, 1,500, which would make it about 30% of where I believe the pharmacy numbers will be. And around the world, um, that is pretty much where it bottoms out. Um, so I think if we can get to 1,500 pharmacies, I think that will take, uh, that will be uh, Qatar, not uh, Russia. Yeah. Um, and that is, if, of course, if they have the World Cup in Qatar, because they're still... <laughs> Still, some doubt about that. Absolutely. Um, you know, if I think if by 2022, 2025, if we can get to 1,500 uh, uh, pharmacies uh, in automation, we've done extremely well. And in reality, we would have then done as well as the rest of the world, based on the time frame we've had from the pressure, the, the financial pressure, actually making us make these decisions. You know, which has started to happen in the UK in '98, in Holland in 2000, in Norway in 2002. Uh, you know, you're talking 20 years to get to that sort of level. It's no different, Rob, to generic substitution. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it took us a long time to get started with that, but uh, certainly we've got we've got there in the end. So, now terrific. Now it's been great having you on, John. It's been, it's been great, and obviously uh, it's been part of our automation series. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the show in the not too distant future. Anytime, mate. Thanks very much for your time. No problem. Okay. Cheers. Well, we're certainly glad to uh, finish on a World Cup flavour and uh, just having seen our Socceroos go down to Spain overnight, um, hopefully we can reach the pinnacle of pharmacy automation uh, before the Socceroos do in uh, 2022, as we're talking about with John. Um, Three key learnings that I took out of today uh, was... Really, we need to be looking at all of our one percenters, and we speak about a lot about this on this show, but there's no bigger one percenter than reducing waiting times. Now, there was a great study that uh, John spoken about that was mentioned by Glenn Guilfoyle at APP 2014. So anyone who went along to that conference, I know that we all got a DVD afterwards. Uh, have a look back at that, have a listen to it, um, and um, you know, certainly good value to have a look at. But it really focused on, in the nutshell that I took from it, was that if we could reduce our waiting time down from by even four minutes uh, by reducing those product selection times and all of those logistical things that we never ever went to pharmacy uh, college and university to actually do. So um, we, we need to be focusing on those and the, the best thing that got shown out in that study was how significant the retail sales were improved and also the value addition and the customer loyalty from that patient pharmacist engagement. So it's a really, really small little change to our workflow, obviously aided by some great and smart technology, but it could significantly change our businesses. And we spoke about that in our previous episode with Leon. It could literally change your life and your pharmacy career. Number two, um, we we keep harping on wholesalers. Um, It was great that John was able to share his insights um, in having a retail and wholesale background as well as to how our wholesalers are actually warehousing our products that we order every day and that their three three to three and a half thousand fast movers are automated in the warehouses. So if our wholesalers are getting the best benefit of efficient logistics, so should we. And further to that, actually adding to it, and as the wholesalers sometimes do have a way, and we won't poke any fingers at any particular ones, but they do have some influence with our significant software vendors, we need to get better connectivity between our wholesale warehouses and our pharmacies. And as John was saying, it's significant. It could be the biggest game change that we see. We need to be all working together to create that seamless patient experience that has our patients enjoying our pharmacies and being more relevant to our communities without letting logistics get in the way of really good first-class pharmaceutical care. And that's what we've been known about in this country for a long period of time. Number three was around discovery and having a comprehensive review of your business as well. We've spoken about this a number of times. It is a very big decision to consider pharmacy automation in your pharmacy. But as John touched on, it does start all the way back as to what you actually want to achieve in your pharmacy. Is it a pharmacy like John said that you want to be in long term? Um, Or is it something that you're looking at it exiting out and you're trying to improve your valuation? All of these factors need 
need to be taken into account when you're considering the solution. But for the majority of us, and we're all, we've got a very proud tradition and we are under threat at the moment, but we do stand up in, in view of threats consistently throughout our pharmacy history, particularly in Australia, is that we, do not, we, we will be able to find a way forward and really examining what is your key role and strategy of your business is gonna be pertinent to any strategy that you implement from an automation perspective. Otherwise, you're literally going to be dumping it in the pharmacy and we do not encourage that at all. It needs to fit into your workflow. Ultimately, the smart technology will drive your sustainable business model and that does not need to be technology-based. Technology will aid and automate your best practice processes and no one knows that better than you do. Our micro transformation today will cover email marketing and more specifically MailChimp, but we'll get to that. Now the reason why I chose email marketing is that it can sometimes be the first step that we might take into any marketing in a digital sense. Our pharmacies may already be doing newsletters or we may have newsletters published for us if we're part of a franchise group. And the first step in that, in that verse is to be able to actually translate that into a digital format. And quite often the easiest format to do and the quickest and the simplest can be email marketing. So we're gonna focus on that today. And in transformation tradition, we're gonna follow the four step model all the way through. So first step being education. So why email marketing? Well, email's been around for a long time. Everyone's very familiar with it. There'd be very few people that wouldn't have an email address. And we're quite familiar with giving our email address to pharmacies or to retail businesses for loyalty programs and so forth. So you may already have a database. If you have a loyalty program, check out your database, you may already have emails as well. Some of our franchise groups may already be doing direct marketing on your behalf to your patients, but you may again, following on from our previous episodes around Facebook and the mistakes that we can be making by just putting too many offers out there, we could be making the mistake of just pumping offers out to our patients and customers. So to get some content to them that is relevant to them, to us, and we'll discuss this probably in an upcoming episode very shortly around content marketing and the types of things that we can start doing like blogs, social media, but it's a way to actually get that out there. So the other things that we need to look at is that if we're gonna do email marketing, and we've already got things like Facebook pages, how do they integrate together or do we have to duplicate everything? And I'm gonna tell you today that you actually don't. And in transformation tradition, we're talking about free tools today, mind you. So don't come into this thinking, well, how much is it all gonna cost? If you follow the steps that we go through in this episode and start implementing, it shouldn't cost you anything more than your time or potentially your staff's time that may be able to do that as well. So we need to also determine are people going to be um, opening it as well. We've probably touched on email marketing in probably episode three or four when we were talking about doing podcasts for our team. And I recommended that we distribute that by using an email marketing system like MailChimp because then we can see which team members have actually listened or clicked on the podcast as well. Same thing applies for your customers. You want to know that what you're sending out there is being read and it's being appreciated. If not, you need to be able to change it as well. 
Okay, so what we need to be looking at here is how we're going to use that in our business. Well, basically, we want to communicate with our customers. Marketing, a very quick definition of that, is what we want to tell patients when we don't have them in front of us. That's what really the marketing is. It's a sales conversation or a discussion that you want to have with our patients when we can't have them physically in front of us. So if we were going to have them in front of us, what would we be telling them? And that's, the, that's where I think we have a big disconnect in our marketing and how we communicate with our customers one-on-one. -on -one. In that one-on-one, -on -one, we're probably more valuable and we're more likely to listen to what they want and to give them personalised advice. But our marketing tends to be a push offer of saying we've got something on special, we've got a truckload of fish oil that we want to sell. You know, it just really disconnects from at that conversation that we're having one-on-one. -on -one. So we might want to talk about events, we might have some topical issues that may have just come up in the media, there might be a drug that's been withdrawn, there might be perhaps it came up at a, on a current affair only recently about the dangers of Webster packing and methotrexate that you know landed a pharmacy in a lot of trouble. Obviously the conversation then may come back to you to say well are you doing all the right things, are you maintaining safe checking um, details. And as we've seen this week, um, Webster Care and Jared have got right on the front foot and have sent out a great email to all of the pharmacies of exactly what they could be saying to patients if they do query it. And also to validate our, our customers, it's probably an opportune time to be telling them how we're actually doing Webster packing or dose administration aids and why they should be confident in how we're doing it versus perhaps how other people are doing it as well. A great story. It could be seasonal. It could be we're coming. We're going through winter right now. People are coming down with perhaps gastro viruses. Just giving them general tips and tricks of saying, well, how do we prevent colds and flu? Obviously, we don't know the secret. Otherwise, we would we would be doing it ourselves as well. But things people can do: washing hands, keeping hygiene, um, hygiene practices high. You know, not. You know, coughing in the open, you know, coughing into the elbow, all of these types of tips and tricks that, you know, could make a significant difference to our patients when they're approaching their everyday at the moment. It could even be some history about what our, what our pharmacy's doing and just telling a story by email. And all of this stuff, and you might even want to introduce your staff. You might want to go each week through your team and actually inter interview them and send out a little, a little post to your patients to let them know who's actually looking after them. Sometimes we have staff in our business that our customers never see, you know, particularly in an aged care division of your business. You may not actually ever see patients in the front of shops. So... It's important that all these types of stories and things we can communicate. And email marketing is a great one because you can have a database and you can have the same message and the email marketing systems can personalise that message to your individual customers as well. And we'll talk about that now in step three, being partnership. So I'm only going to focus on MailChimp. We've got 10 minutes so we can't cover absolutely everything so I'll try to give you all the best ideas around using MailChimp but if you really want to have a crack at it it's free to use so there's no risk at all you can go in dive in there's some great training materials in MailChimp University sounds a bit odd doesn't it uh, sounds like a monkey university but as, as we've determined in previous episodes sometimes there is a bit of a monkey theme to these apps as well which is a bit of fun so what MailChimp can do is it can house a database. So databases, particularly in the past, we may have had in an Excel spreadsheet, or if you have a loyalty program, you can actually export or just 
actually get your loyalty program provider to give you what's called a .csv file, which is the most common type of database that can be imported into a tool like MailChimp. And all it will do then is when you actually import that file, it will ask you just to match up all of the fields of first name, last name, email address, which is really the main three ones that you want. You may want to go further in terms of more details, but those are the three key things that you really do need. Um, it give you a list, it can, you can help to define that list if people get those emails, who they come from, what their na who, the, who the name of it is, the type of subject line you might have, it might be this week's insight from XYZ Pharmacy. Um, and you can also, one of the benefits to actually doing this through a system like MailChimp is that when you send emails out, even when you do personally, and you get the wrong email and it's missing a letter or a dot somewhere, it just goes into your junk mail or to come back with all of these responders that say that's not a valid email. MailChimp actually uh, cleans it for you as well, which is a really good thing. And having the first and last name is really important because then you can actually personalize the, temp the template. And there's a huge template library from three column newsletters to one column, all depends on what you wanna do. Um, there are templates that can include all types of media, video, photos, even audio. Um, so if you do decide to do a podcast, and that's something that, again, we spoke about from a team perspective, but if you wanted to do it for your customers, you could do it this way as well. It's just a really nice, easy way to send it out. And there are pre-configured templates. Even surveys that we've spoken about in the past, you can connect those to one of these MailChimp um, templates. And the tool that I mentioned in the past, SurveyMonkey, links really well with MailChimp. But I won't go into too much details because again, we've only got 10 minutes and we might go through this in significant more detail in a perhaps a webinar or a workshop down the track. The um, paid version of MailChimp, which again is really not that much as well, it's about $9 a month. Um, you get these. You get access to things called autoresponders. So when you do get a customer who might go to your website or your Facebook site and actually subscribe to get updates from you, they can get an autoresponder email. So the minute they sign up, you can send an email back to them automatically that you've already pre-configured to say, welcome to XYZ Pharmacy. And you might even want to add a couple of products and services onto that as well. And it's probably an opportune time to actually dis discuss with your key suppliers whether they'd be interested in sponsoring it for you. Because uh, again, it's uh, something that, um, you know, as a marketing perspective, it's a very targeted demographic that you're going after as well that's relevant to you, but it could also be relevant to your suppliers as well, in which case you could get some marketing um, budget out of that as well, something to consider anyway. What you can also do is you can also automatically link MailChimp to your social media like Facebook or Twitter. I think at the moment we're really only focusing on Facebook at the moment. We might do Twitter down the track. Um, but again, you can repost all of those things onto social media. And the brilliant thing as well, and this is probably the number one tip I'd give you with MailChimp as well, which is something we've only discovered this week, is that if you use the link to if you've got a blog blog post that you're sending out and you send that blog out with the link to the blog, what you do miss is the opportunity to capture an email address for your database. So that if people share it to someone else, what you'd love them to do when they share it to someone else is whoever watches or listens to it or reads it, 
to get them to subscribe to your database as well so that you keep building that database of communication up. So by sharing your MailChimp newsletters, you can get what happens on a mobile device and you know it's a great thing because most people I could guarantee will read this in a mobile device because of the proliferation of smartphones and there's a button that comes up straight at the top, subscribe, and then all they have to do is literally just uh, pop their email address in and they're in your system as well. So you can start communicating with them straight away. You can add links as well. You can perhaps even, you know, even we haven't experimented with this just yet, but you can link it to if you've got an e-commerce site and you want to sell, sell something or add a product to the bottom where people could click on and automatically go to your shopping cart and uh, they can buy it straight away really good thing. Another good thing that you may want to do, and actually I might hold on on that one and pop that into step four being optimization. So in optimization, what you can do is you can do some testing as well. And that's really where I'd encourage you to do it. Don't worry about the format of it, just whatever's comfortable for you. Um, and pick one and, um, and pop it out there, send it to your, to your database in, as a list and look at the statistics in the reports that you get for free from MailChimp. If you've got a high open rate, then you know, you're doing very well. Continue to keep doing more of that. But if it's not working so well, what you can also do is called A-B testing. I won't go into too much details, but have a read on MailChimp if you're interested, where you can send to half your database one template and half to another, and you can compare to see which one actually works best as well. And you can also see how, how engaged you're getting people on social media. Does it generate more impressions? We spoke about that in the previous uh, micro transformation on Facebook pages. Um, and you know that might give you an indication as to what people are doing. But above all, the main thing about doing this as well is just growing that database of yours. We spoke about Facebook pages and there's also all these other social networks you can be into, but what I'd love you guys to take away from this is that you need to bring people back to you. And you in a digital space is your website and your database. So you can have a thousand followers on Twitter, 2000 likes on Facebook, but if you don't have that as a database, then if Facebook decides to change the way they wanna work with you or shut themselves down, you never know you lose that connection with all of those followers. So what you need to do is you need to be able to get people into your database as well. So please don't lose sight of that. Guys, have a great week, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week.